0: Now, as ITV prepares to remember Nolly in a new Crossroads drama by Russell T. Davis, Distinct Nostalgia brings you an exclusive and the very last interview that was ever recorded with the show's creator, the pioneering writer and producer, Hazel Adair. So back in 2015, I spent some time meeting Crossroads creator Hazel Adair
1: and her son, Charles Marriott. It wasn't long after our meeting that Hazel sadly passed away at the grand old age of 95. One thing or another, it's taken several years to get round to broadcasting these interviews, which celebrate a real pioneer in British television. Born Hazel Willett in Darjeeling, British India, in 1920, Hazel's family returned to the UK when she was nine months old. Her father had been an engineer working in Calcutta. Using her stage name, Adair, she made her film acting debut in 1948 in My Brother Jonathan, but she was soon writing scripts. First, we're going to hear Hazel's chat with me at the nursing home she was living in at the time. Hazel's memory wasn't totally what it had been, but she still remembered key things about her time in telly, and it was an absolute honour and delight to meet her. We began by talking about how she got started.
2: Going right back to the beginning, a lot of people wouldn't work for children's television because the money was so bad. And for those of us who didn't earn very much, it was manner from heaven, so you know it wasn't that difficult to get work if you didn't mind what you did.
1: Right, you started off in children's television, yes. didn't you? Yes, but you were you were you, before then you were you were in the theatre, is that right?
2: You were in the theatre, yes, little, little, for a little time, yes, but mostly television. Was it acting or writing that you were attracted to acting most? Acting then. Acting originally. Yes. Okay, and so how
1: did you get into the writing side of it then?
2: Well, because I was walking back from rehearsal one day with Joy Harrington, who was a producer, and she said, I don't know what we're going to do. We've run out of scripts. And I said, oh, don't be silly. It can't be that difficult to write one. And she said, well, I can't get any. So I went home that night and I wrote one and I gave it to her, and within a week it was on. (laughs) And what was that? Can you remember what it was? (laughs) (laughs) No, I can't. I but, that, but that was a
1: children's yes. piece, was it? A children's yes. Piece. Right.
2: Okay. yes. I worked in children's for quite a time before moving over because nobody would work for children's because the money was so bad. And did you do
1: children's radio as well as children's television?
2: No. Well, I did do the odd one, but not
1: mainly. When you were an actress then, what kind of roles and parts did you play? Can you remember?
2: Juveniles, leads, that's it. Really? Did you enjoy it? Oh, yes.
1: Mm. But but the writing was what you were... No,
2: writing I hated, but I found I could do it and make money. And (laughs) with all my family, I had to make money. In fact, Hazel had a very early
1: career in film and was the co-writer of the comedy Dentist on the Job, which starred Bob Monkhouse. Uh, That came out in the early 1960s, Uh, and it was a sort of carry-on. There'd already been a carry-on before that, but there were other films that felt sort of carry-on-esque. Certainly carry-on actors and stars were in them, because Bob Monkhouse was in the very original uh, very first um, carry on film, Carry On Sergeant, back in the nineteen fifties. Um, Hazel's links to soap or serial drama came with the BBC radio show Mrs Dale's Diary, which she co-wrote with Jonquil Anthony, and of course that started a whole uh, career focused on soap and serial drama. And in fact, uh, Hazel was involved in the very first daily. TV soap opera. Yes, there were soaps before then, uh, but this was the very first daily one, as Hazel recalled, when we met. Tell us about Lou Grade then and, and Six Penny Corner.
2: Well, um, really the first English soap. He, um, he got hold of me one day and asked me to his office, and he said, you've worked in America, haven't you? And I said, yes. And he said, what about these soap operas? And I said, what about them? And he said, well, what's so difficult about them? I said, I don't think there's anything difficult about them. He said, right, have one on my desk on Tuesday morning. And so I did. This was Friday, mind you.
1: And that's where Six Penny Corner came from.
2: So what was Six Penny Corner about then? It was about a corner shop. Uh, And um, it um, was a garage, and so um, I was asked him you know, to run the, the shop bit and um, I said well why can't we combine the two so we did and it was a success and then uh, unfortunately of course they, ITV brought in the no overtime ban and of course it being five days a week it had overtime so that was the end of it
1: Really? Is that how it finished? Yes. That's a shame, isn't it? So, and was it was it quite a
2: dramatic show? Lots of interesting no, things happened? It was an ordinary part of family who ran a shop.
1: Six Penny Corner actually ran from September 1955 until June 1956, and it focused on a recently married couple called Bill and Sally Norton, played by Howard Pays and Scottish actor. Patricia Denton, who is still around in her 90s. Hopefully we can try and get hold of her at some point and do an interview. All 181 episodes sadly are believed to have been lost. So you were you were you were one of the you were certainly one of the pioneers when it came to soap opera in this country. Absolutely. And and of course after Six Penny Corner, you were, you pioneered uh, Compact as well, didn't yes. you? Tell us about Compact because that was quite groundbreaking, wasn't it?
2: It was, yes.
1: And and Compact was about Women, wasn't it? Women running a... a, a some a kind magazine. of... A magazine. Yes.
2: Yes. And I thought of that when I was sitting waiting in Women's Own because I was writing for them at the time and I thought well, this would make a good soap opera. So I wrote out a quick resume of one and uh, following the following week it was on.
1: And, and, and what and what kind of things did it follow? The sort of relationships between the different people, the women and the, the stories they were covering and things? Yes. Yeah.
2: Yes. Oh, it covered everything.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And that was, as as I said before, it was quite groundbreaking because everyone talks today about, you know, there's lots of things, more things out there now for women than there ever was. But in those days, there was nothing really on TV, was there?
2: Yeah. absolutely nothing. And that's why I think it was so popular. And um, great wailings and gnashings of teeth when it was taken off. Most of the cast were women. You see, there were very few men available at a price. And uh, so that's where women got their breakthrough in television.
1: What did people think to the fact that um, you were championing all these women? Because obviously it was, a very much a, it was very much a, ma- a man's
2: world back then, wasn't it? It was, very much, yes. I don't think it was very popular <laughs> among uh, the hierarchy who were generally men, as you might imagine. But nevertheless, it won through. Fantastic, fantastic! And of course you
1: you pioneered not just that, you pioneered other things as well. You were you were a writer on um, Emergency Ward Ten, which yes. is another ATV production from good old Lou Grade, wasn't it? And one of the things you pioneered there was uh, the first interracial kiss, wasn't That's it? Right, yes. Where did where did that come from, and why did it end up in the storyline?
2: There was a, a great hoo ha about it because. Um, there, were, there weren't many interracial stories. It wasn't a very popular theme. And, um, I don't know, I'm, I'm a bit of a rebel, you see, and anything that's not very popular, I tend to latch on to. And,
1: and of see. course, it was happening in real life, wasn't it? Yes. These things were happening in real life. So is that important to you to try and reflect? We'll be back after a quick break. You still loading them and heating them up with all your single shit you've been dropping. You yeah. feel me? Loading them up on it, it only takes structure, and, and you know just paying attention to the climate of the game.
3: Yeah, nah, I man. So do do your homies uh got a role in your in your little? You mean
2: yeah, yeah. We all we all artists over here, man. i all already. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, I'm trying, yeah. I'm, trying, I'm, trying yeah. I'm trying to get them on there. Yeah, yeah. Quiet. No, look, look, look. We all artists, man. We go. You feel me? We gonna have this like. Bro, me and my man like me and my man we'd be like I don't know we play, we play with this, <laughs> shit. Play with this shit I got gonna lie we play with this shit right now for real I, oh, I play like. don't it, play with not. it take that shit shit I think it was in a way although I didn't realise it right at the time It. um and
1: did what, what reaction did you get did they did they try and take it off or oh yes
2: very much so but there was a, a public outcry about that because it was very popular.
1: So that was, as you say, that was controversial.
2: Yes.
1: And and but but you also managed to get quite a few other black actors into things over the years as well, didn't yes, you? Yes,
2: I did. Yes. Well, because I'm very anti-racial, you did know, you? anti that that sort of thing. I can't stand it. And so it was really important
1: to you. And, and did you did you ever feel that you were? You say there was opposition to a lot of these changes and things, but was was the opposition quite quite strong,
2: or was it they the wouldn't. kind? Of, yes.
1: What kind of thing would you come up against? What kind of problems?
2: Well, budgetary. They never allowed us very much in the budget. You see, the they, the money went to the big white stars, not to to the black fraternity, and so we battled quite heavily to get any money to do the shows. So Emergency Ward 10, people think
1: today of Crossroads and Coronation Street and EastEnders and things like that, Um, but Lou Grade was, and and yourselves at ATV, you were doing lots of soaps before anybody really thought of them as soaps, weren't you?
2: Yes, simply because... um, Lou Grade asked me into his office one day and he said, he said, why are they so popular? I said, because they get on every, much more often than others. And it's familiarity. And what was
1: Lou Grade like as a person to work with?
2: Well, I got on with him very well. I, don't, I know a lot of people didn't, but uh, I did. I find him very amusing.
1: He uh, didn't stop you challenging him now again, though, did it?
2: Oh, no, no. no.
1: Famously, you challenged him over, over writer's money, was it, or something? Yes.
2: Yeah. um repeats that um, and in fact it, uh, I think um, well actually we got on very well privately but um, he didn't like the fact that we got repeats, you see and I was largely responsible for that. so um,
1: and so you, you took took everybody out on strike, is that right at one point?
2: which wasn't popular, as you might imagine. You were definitely a rebel there. Yes.
1: (laughs) And how did he react to that?
2: Oh, well, he called me into his office. He's a great one for calling you into his office. And um, he was teetotaled, so you never got a drink. You got offered tea or coffee. I find him very easy to get on with, actually. He had a sense of humour.
1: But he saw that he saw in the end that he had to pay yes. pay up, and, and you got you won the won the day on that,
2: did you?
1: Yes, I did. You were the f- possibly the first female to head the Writers Guild, and so in, in that sense, you were again you were you were breaking down boundaries and things, weren't you? You were pushing pushing exactly, against. Yes. It's,
2: Not that I realised it at the time, but it yes, I was.
1: The thing that I know you for, um, because it instantly hits me from my childhood constantly um is Crossroads because I always remember your name and Peter Ling's name at the uh, on the on the credits of Crossroads and it's great to meet you because that's the kind of thing that I remember as a kid so tell me about Crossroads I mean where did where where was that dreamt up from who came was it you and Peter that sort of had to went away and decided this is what you're going to do or where, where did the Crossroads idea come from
2: I don't know we had so many ideas you know we kept throwing them up and it was
3: if I can prompt you basically Lou grade said I need a daily yes. cereal set in birmingham
2: yes half an hour a day twice a day
1: why, why why did it why was it a why was it a motel rather than a
2: hotel well because there were hotels there was a big uh, glossy sort of called Hotel, which Lou Gray ran as well. Um, And I had the feeling that, you know, a motel was something that not many people knew about but was very popular in America, of course, and things that are popular in America catch on over here. So I thought, well, let's try that.
1: And, of course, at that time in the mid-'60s, we were start, the country was starting to build loads of motorways, wasn't it, as well? So I suppose motels were starting to appear.
2: Yes, they were, and yeah. that, that was why. The, the, uh, the airfield at um, Birmingham was getting more popular for people flying in to do um, variety shows in the Midlands, and they didn't necessarily have to stay in London.
1: And, and, and the thing about the motel is, you had some regular cast members, but you had people coming and staying and yes. moving on and that kind of thing.
2: Stars. Yes, it was a so, way of getting stars into the show without it seeming false.
1: And of course, Crossroads was live, wasn't it? Yes, um,
2: one live and one recorded. We did two days a week live in the studio, and the one was went out live, and one was recorded for. A later date. And it was phenomenally successful quite quickly, wasn't it? Well, it was, yes. Yes. And I always feel that um, if the BBC had had more courage, they could have had it, you see, because we were working for them at the time, Peter and I. But they didn't, and um, so they lost it. And, and of course, the,
1: the other thing about Crossroads is it had this sort of... Um, Upstairs, downstairs feel about it as well, because you had the you had the, the people who ran the place and then you had the workers, didn't you?
2: Yes, yes. And was that intentional? No, it wasn't really. Um, because when we started it, it they accelerated the, the whole process. And we therefore had workmen walking through the, the sets at the time. So there was only one thing to do, was to use them. And so that's how that came about.
1: OK, OK. But there were some quite iconic characters, weren't there? Oh, I mean, yeah, yeah. when we think about uh, Meg Mortimer, played by Noel Gordon, yes. you know, she became a, an iconic figure of ATV and of television generally, didn't she? Yes. Um, d- who dreamt up Noel Gordon? Was it, was it you? Neil
2: Gordon. Noel Gordon. <laughs> Noel Gordon.
1: <laughs> <laughs> she was a strong character, and, oh and, and the programme itself revolved around... Sort herb. herb, generally, didn't it? Yes. Um, yeah, but but it had some it had some other characters who became much loved. I mean, people like Jane Rosington, um, who played Jill, and others. You know, became. I mean, even today, people talk about her, and you know, it, it, it's something which is which is which has stayed in the in people's psyche, hasn't yes, it? Yes,
2: and Benny. What
1: What was fun about doing a regular five day a week soap at that time? What, what What was what was the most exciting thing about it? Do you think?
2: wasn't exciting, it was bloody hard work.
1: So Crossroads was hard work from a writer's perspective? Very hard work, yes. 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 Tell, tell, tell us a little bit about that, the fact you used to write everything by hand.
2: Yes. Why was that? Because I didn't do shorthand.
1: And, and, and this meant that, um, as your son was saying, that um, if there were some changes and things, that the script had to completely alter. Yes. And you had to start again by hand. By hand. <laughs>
2: Not funny, I can tell you.
1: So, 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 literally hours and hours and hours of everybody's time went into Crossroads. It yeah. was a, was it a seven-day-a-week job? Oh, very much so. Yeah,
2: yeah. I'd say an eight-day-a-week job,
1: really. But as I said before, it became very successful, very, very quickly, and it was, um, it was, regularly rivaling. Um, it's it's oh, the other soap on on ITV, which was Coronation Street. Coronation Street was doing very well, but Crossroads was up there,
2: wasn't it? Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. Very much so. Would you like to have written for Coronation Street as well? I was asked to, but I have six children, you see, and I really couldn't face moving. I don't know how you kept up the writing and the six children. That was <laughs> a nightmare. Well, I couldn't. I couldn't face moving them all up to Manchester and all that entailed. So. I turned it down.
1: It, is, it was different in the sense that most of the other soap operas are, are, have been based around, you know, streets and pubs and things like that, whereas Crossroads was was, was quite unique,
2: wasn't it? It was, I suppose, yes. Um, the thing I remember about it most was it was such hard work because, um, for instance, Compact, which was the BBC, was twice a week. And that was really enough. But Crossroads was every day to begin with, and that was a hell of a job.
1: Yes, yes. I mean, there's talk at the moment of the, uh, of the existing soaps on TV, EastEnders and Coronation Street going five or six days a week again, um, saying that, you know, that they're all moaning that they're going to have to do five or six days a week. But you were doing this all the time and a lot of the yes. time live as well, which yes. is, you know, amazing, really. Um, to think that you were doing that we that did
2: moment. one day uh, one day live and one day recorded we did two days in the studio yes well, we did two and a half days in the studio to be exact and we did the, all the recordings that time
1: what are the what are the dangers of doing it live do you think what was was everybody were you always on on tenterhooks
2: yes, and I mean we had some very nasty experiences because you know. People would be ill or something, and you know we had no backup. Do you have
1: any favourite characters that you liked writing for in particular?
2: Not particularly. It was too too rushed to have favourites. You know, and just got on with it. Yeah. Some were pains in the arse, but I won't go into that.
1: Where did Hughie McPhee come from? What was what was the what was the reason for him?
2: <laughs> well, he, we had this very Scottish actor. I don't know why it was, but he managed to get himself infiltrated into a small part in lots of things. So he was always cropping up. It drove us crazy. But
1: he came quite a fixture, didn't he? Yes. What about producing and writing films then later on? You did. You did a bit of that, didn't you, in the nineteen seventies?
2: Yes, I did, yes. Uh, very largely because um, to do films in those days required you to have money and. Um, it wasn't that easy to get money to back films, and if you managed to get any, it usually had very large strings attached, you know, and uh, so one was bound to do what they asked.
1: What kind of things did you write and, and
3: produce? Well, you, you had a partnership with David Frost for a period of time. Oh, yes, I did, yeah. he yes. asked you to write.
2: He asked me to write some things, and... Um, I did. And I can't remember Catherine what. Catherine the Great. Hmm?
3: Catherine the Great. I don't know if it ever got made into oh, film, no. but you wrote a lot that yes. wasn't necessarily in production. But your big, your big film would have been Games for Vultures. I which suppose so. yeah. Starred Richard Roundtree. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Talk, talk a bit about Games for Vultures and the cast.
2: The cast of Games for Richard Vultures. Harris, Richard. Um, Roundtree, Denham Elliott, Ray Milland, um, Joan Collins.
1: Fabulous, <laughs> fabulous!
2: And did you did you
1: enjoy uh, being involved in films? No,
2: no, no, no.
1: Why? Why, why not?
2: It's very really hard work. <laughs> didn't <you> enjoy. <laughs> well, I didn't really. No. <laughs> It's really hard work yes. and so much of what you want to do doesn't get done because there are difficulties, money mostly. Yeah,
1: yeah. One of the things I did see you talking about a while ago, which I thought was quite interesting, was, was just the difference in terms of working for the BBC and working for ITV and the culture and what it was like. So we could reflect on that a little bit. What, it, what was it like? What was the differences in working for the two organisations?
2: Well, BBC was far more structured and... Um, I remember uh, wanting to do a storyline about an unmarried mother and it had to go all the way to the board of directors to get permission to do it before we could actually write a storyline about it whereas ITV was far more hit and miss you know
1: I presume at ITV if you got Lou Grade on your side or whatever you could you could do what it what you wanted yes
2: yeah, yeah. Fortunately, I got on well with him, so. Fabulous, Fabulous.
1: Mm. and so was it a different was it a different mood at the BBC? Was it a bit more oh, yes. sort of I don't know? Um, was it? A proper. <laughs> yeah, a bit more stuffy in yes. some respects. Yeah,
2: very yeah. much so.
1: Yeah, a lot more relaxed at, at ITV.
2: Well, not relaxed because no, nothing about television is relaxed. It wasn't relaxed so much as uh, they hadn't got time. Yes. To um, do you think they were more prepared to take risks? I don't know if they, they had to, because there wasn't the time to go through all the paraphernalia that there was yes. with BBC.
1: One of the other things I saw you talking about was an interview, I think you did, where you talked about um, the writer Johnny Spate, who used to spend a lot of his time uh, in, right. in, the, in the canteen. Well, tell us about Johnny. He was a bit of a character, wasn't
2: he? Oh, he was, yes. I got on very well with him, but... Um, I found mostly that was because, when we had script conferences, of course, after we had briefings and so on, the um, the writers and it was mostly me um, were released to to the canteen, but not allowed to leave the building in case there was a drama. And so, of course, one spent a lot of time in the canteen, which Johnny lived in, really. <laughs> and so, I got to know him quite well. And
1: um, he's quite an emotional guy, wasn't he? Oh, very much. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah,
2: yeah. And I mean, endlessly, he would cry on my shoulder. I mean, I'm not joking; he'd cry, literally cry. And um,
1: but, but, but that came out in his writing, didn't it? It was yes, very. It was a lot of feeling in his writing.
2: Yes, it yeah. did. I liked him, I got on well with him, but um, a lot of people didn't.
1: What's your proudest moment in terms of your, your career?
2: I think it was being elected chairman, because you know, there'd never been a woman chairman of, of a trade union before, and I think that was a very proud moment. What did it
1: enable you to do in that position?
2: Well, mostly women's rights, because the extraordinary thing is that they, they would always tend to go for a man rather than a woman. Uh, I can't imagine why, but they did. Um, they always assumed that men had more talent than women.
1: And, and it's the kind of thing that, I, I mean, I know that Women have been prejudiced against over many, many years, but i have to I have to say writing and acting and and and, and that kind of the creative industry isn 't an area that I would have thought that women would have suffered much in, but
2: they did didn't they Oh very much so, yes, very much so and um, for a long time, of course, we didn 't get equal pay, and that 's one of the things I fought for was equal pay for women doing the same the same series people would employ men on it and pay them far more than they'd employ the women for. It was extraordinary, because they did the same scripts. Hazel
1: Adair there, talking to me back in 2015. And as you could hear there, in the mix was Hazel's son, Charles, and he arranged the interview with Hazel, and afterwards he sat down to reflect on his mum's amazing career. You can hear that after this brief reminder of what else is to come from Distinct Nostalgia this Christmas.
0: Distinct Nostalgia is produced by MIM and if you like what we do then please consider supporting us on Patreon. Every penny helps us to make even more amazing content just for you. Go to distinctnostalgia.com and click on the donate button. Thank you. On Distinct Nostalgia this Christmas. We're back in fictional Fulchester as we celebrate the 50th birthday of Crown Court with a special documentary. We all had such a good laugh. It was lovely, but it was very serious. The jury are picked off the street on the day.
1: (laughs) I must have done it too well because they thought I was real. You didn't know what the outcome was going to be because, you know, so they were ready to film two different endings, whatever the jury decision was. It was great. It was edgy.
0: As ITV plans to pay tribute to our nolly, we've an exclusive as we hear the very last interview with Crossroads creator Hazel Adair.
2: I had the feeling that a motel was something that not many people knew about but was very popular in America, of course. And things that are popular in America catch on over here. So I thought, well, let's try that.
0: We're remembering Ruth Maddock with an interview never heard before on her memories of Heidi High.
2: And this camp. Goodness knows when it was built. It was dreadful. In fact, it was so awful that the BBC to actually film used to tart it up. And the chalets weren't very good, believe you me. They were dreadful.
0: (laughs) There's new and original comedy drama with our latest Generation Games episode. Emmerdale legend Gene Rogers stars in Wrong Side Out by Janice Fryat.
2: I once jumped some lights. <laughs> it was a couple of years ago now, and I just nipped through because I was late for my hair appointment. Got stopped by a handsome young copper. But I did what I've always done smiled and fluttered my eyelashes. I never go out without mascara. In fact, I never go out without full makeup and my favourite perfume.
0: And the Distinct Nostalgia Mind of the Month quiz is back as we enter the new year. Dermot Morgan played who? Did he play Father Ted Criley, Father Ted Crilly, or Father Ted Crowley? I'm surprised there's not um, Father Ted Curley in there, which the uh, author keeps getting his, uh, his name wrong in one of the episodes, ah. but it's Father Ted Crilly. It is, yes. All to come on Distinct Nostalgia this Christmas. Distinct Nostalgia, more than a podcast.
1: So after meeting Crossroads creator Hazel Adair back in 2015, can you believe that? I sat down with her son Charles to put his mum's illustrious career and achievements in perspective. So going way, way back, what was it like to have you know, such an illustrious mum?
3: Well, I was very, very young, of course, up till about the age of seven, and I went off to boarding school. So, pre-seven-year-old, I, I probably don't remember too much. I remember we, we used to have very good parties in the garden, and, of course, my father was doing all sorts of things at the time as well, as my mother. But I suppose it's the parties I remember. That and the fact that I had the most wonderful sit-in pedal car. Um, <laughs> But as, as far as her career, I suppose I was really too young to know too much about mm. it. Things started happening when I went to boarding school, and obviously there was a fair bit of press, yeah. things like that. And people used to say to me at the school, oh, your mother's doing this and your mother's doing that. And of course, it wasn't till about six years later when I came back from boarding school that I... Aged, I think it was about 14, decided that I wanted to uh, become an actor, wrongly or rightly.
1: <laughs> and it was from her influence, really, wasn't it? Um,
3: yes, definitely. I mean, well, my father was an actor as well. Uh, in fact, I believe in 1948 they met on the stage. My father had been in the war and, uh, well, I was in the war as well, but he was in the RAF. And I seem to remember there's a, a photograph of the, the two of them on stage together where he's playing an RAF officer, no surprise there. <laughs> but yes, no, they were both actors, and some would say my mother still has a bit of actress in her.
1: <laughs> Obviously at the time, you know, or certainly for a very long time, her name was on TV every day, you know, in Crossroads and things like that. Did other people around you know about that? Did other friends know about that? You know, was it was it something you'd talk about?
3: Most of the people who used to come to the house, for example, were people in the business anyway. Yeah, We'd have people come for the weekend. Yeah. And they were actors or or directors or whatever from those TV shows. So it was rare in the village where we live that people sort of from Joe Public, if you like, ever came. I can remember that the advent of uh, colour television, BBC Two, I can remember we got one of the first television sets that could receive colour. And I invited the uh, boy who, who was similar age to me, who lived at the bottom of the hill. Yes. and he came and watched colour telly. Uh, it was very exciting. I Can remember that.
1: <laughs> so looking back at your mum's career, then, I mean, some of the things she talked about. I mean, let's just highlight some of those things. Going going way way back, you know, she did start off as, as an actress, didn't she? Mm. How did it all begin for her? How did her career start? It's
3: a difficult one because I, I don't really remember too much. She never really talked about. Her. Her actress thing, although there is this most marvelous photograph of her as an actress, and she was a very stunning Hollywood looking lady. But I think she did rep at the end of the war. I think, you know, my father was demobbed or whatever, and uh, I think that how she sort of went from being an actress into writing, I'm not quite sure. But she was definitely sort of a showbiz kind of person.
1: But the way she talks about it, it seems... And to be honest, the way a lot of people talk about things of that generation from this particular field of work is that things literally just happened. Mm. You know, you, 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 you took your chances. You, mm. you said, oh, I can write something, and mm. they gave you, gave you a chance, and, and if you managed to live up to expectations the first time, off you went. Mm.
3: The thing about my mother, one of her strengths, as far as script writing is concerned, that back in those days... Dialogue was very strong and because she'd been an actress, I think she understood the whole thing about characters and putting over dialogue in a meaningful way that seemed natural.
1: And of course she was around at the BBC in its, it's a formative period, but then of course, as she grew into that, ITV emerged and she was able to compare the two very, very quickly, wasn't she? And she, she was one of the few women, really, who were around at the time who were making any decisions fairly early on. So that must have had a an impact both on the industry, but also on her life as well, because she had to react to that, didn't she?
3: Yes. I mean, for example, Sixpenny Corner, which was the first ITV Series which was transmitted, started transmitting on day two of ITV. That the, was the like soap, wasn't it? it? It was the very yeah. first soap. I think they ran for 15 minutes, 15 minute episodes. Uh, and in fact, my father directed one of the episodes. Live, but,
1: probably, as well.
3: They probably were. Oh, yeah. But the thing about it was that, that the co writer, John Quill Anthony, was regarded as an author. She was a very good author, but not necessarily so hot on scripts. So they actually did them jointly, and I think they took half the episodes each. But it was probably more because it was the first opportunity where you had actors delivering real-life situations uh, on television. So dialogue, of course, was very important.
1: Now, that was a first, and your, your mum was known for lots of firsts. Well, you, she has become known, when you look back at her career, for yeah. lots of firsts. Maybe they weren't celebrated at the time, but she developed the first soap opera or drama which was solely about women didn't she
3: compact yes it was a very well-known bbc series probably as you say the first serious one that championed women in business you know which for the early 60s was quite unheard of i mean it was quite unheard of to be honest my mother being in the position she was I can remember there were endless articles about how does she balance a family life. Oh, really? Uh, Oh, yeah, Yeah. no, no, no. And I mean, uh, it was not unheard of for us to have journalists, press photographers, wanting to know how she could possibly maintain this kind of level of work and have a family at the same time. But Compact, yes, Compact spawned, of course, a lot of now well-known actors people like Carmen Silvera sadly no longer with us but people remember her as Edith and hello hello and Francis Bennett who played Gussie Robert Fleming who um, appeared in many many very well-established films like the Battle of Britain things like that so that particular program spawned a lot of good actors that went on to, of course, do all sorts of other things.
1: And she liked taking risks, didn't she? She was a big risk-taker.
3: Yep, definitely. People had a lot of respect for her. And, I mean, in a man's world, and it was very much a man's world, some would say it still is. It was quite unheard of, really, for a woman to have the kind of... or attain the kind of position that she did in the world of television. Why
1: do you think she did? Why do you think she managed to stay there so long? And what, what was it about
3: her? It's difficult when you ask a son, something like that. But <laughs> Go on, you can be biased. No, no. <laughs> I think, truthfully, she was very good at what she did. And I think there were not too many people around who were capable of... One of the things that she was very good at doing was inspiration. She could come up with something very quickly. She was extremely good, I've already said. She was very good at character-driven stuff, you know, where she would establish a situation, established these characters who were a very different, who came together in various scenes and their characters came out, if you like, through the dialogue and how it all interweaved one episode or whatever with another. You know, So the continuing drama, if you like, I think it was called. Yes, probably. it was. She was extremely good at doing that yeah. and I think particularly as... Back then, there were probably only a couple of them. Her and her partner, Peter Lynn, who also co-wrote with her an awful lot. Nowadays, you know, I think for something like EastEnders, you've probably got about ten writers. Loads, loads
1: of people, absolutely, you know. yeah, absolutely. So, Emergency World 10, she, she, she wrote for, of course, and she was pioneering on that as well because she did the first Interracial Kiss, which we interviewed Joan Hooley about recently. You know, when you look back at it, it was, by today's standards, it's a very tame thing, really, in terms of a bit of a peck more than anything. But back then, that was a huge moment, wasn't it?
3: Absolutely. I think, you know, for...
1: It was a battle for her to get that on air, wasn't I,
3: I, it? I think it, it was. She always said, I think that when she submitted the script, they must have looked at her. And, yeah, I mean, I think it went right to the top in terms of, well, are we going to do this or not? As you say, now, with hindsight, you'd look at it and say, well, what was all the fuss about? But it was the fact that something that back then wouldn't necessarily have been openly accepted and perhaps even, dare I say, frowned upon, suddenly was there on your television screens. Yeah,
1: and she pushed, pushed the gay side of things as well, didn't she? She pushed that through as well.
3: Yeah, I mean, she's one of those people who, um, I suppose, you know, it's just she just likes to reflect what's really going on out there, you know.
1: The, the thing that she's probably most known for, really, is Crossroads. And I know she didn't, she didn't write all whole Crossroads, she was the creator and did quite a lot of it, and obviously it went on for a long time. And when we spoke to her, she seemed to sort of, I don't know, I mean, obviously I know the situation with your mum at the moment, but I, I detected a sort of love-hate relationship with that programme, because it went on for a long time, of course. What was, what was your impression as to how she felt about Crossroads?
3: I think the circumstances under which she was asked to sort of, could you come up with this? By Luke Gray, you know, and it happened pretty quickly. It's probably one of the most chastised series of, uh, as well. But uh, people have very short memories. It was live. She and Peter Link did come up with the, this scenario. Five days a week at one point. And it was, it was a punishing schedule. I mean, by anybody's book, to have to write that many scripts, and it was live at the start, So the old sort of criticisms of wobbly sets and things like that. Well, I mean, television was a bit like that back then. But live, I mean, you know, you think of all the dramas that go into making a programme live now. God, the rehearsal time and God knows what... You know, and things can go wrong.
1: But it was well loved, of course. People still love it today. I mean, it's been back; they brought it back twice. Yeah. So you know, it's it's one of those programs that you know it has a cult following, doesn't it? And and you say five days a week, twenty five minutes or whatever it was every evening. It had a particular format to it as well, didn't it? There was always you know a little jingle at the beginning. You didn't have a long theme tune. You had a little sort of moment at the end, which TV programs still do now. Hollyoaks I think has followed that, and you you had the the famous the fantastic theme tune and the famous credits that used to run into, <laughs> into each other so i had a lot of you know little quirky things about it but some very strong characters as well you know meg mortimer and el gordon was a strong character wasn't she?
3: absolutely and i mean the other thing yeah as i've said before coming up with something set in a in a motel which was quite an unusual thing of course oh, it was the, start was of the it, motorways around yes. that time W- w- was a perfect vehicle for characters to come in and out. Yes. So if somebody only came in for a, f- a few episodes, that was fine. But you did have a core set of characters. Yes. But I mean, who can ever forget Amy Turtle? <laughs> Absolutely. Or David Hunter. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. So I mean, looking back at it, and I've been talking to your mum since then. Did she have an affection for the programme? Was she,
3: you know, was she proud of Crossroads? Secretly, I think yes. I think she's being very modest, actually. I think she's very modest about her whole career. I'm immensely proud of her, you know, and few people have achieved what she has achieved, man or woman, you know. But when you go back to the period that we're talking about, for a woman, that was quite a big thing, I think. But Crossroads, I think there there was a lot of politics, which is probably why she stopped writing scripts, television sort of... Once it had become popular, other people came into the yeah. equation and started controlling it yeah, a bit. Yeah, yeah. But uh, you're right, it did come back, and I'd be bound to say that contractually, when it did come back, or when there was a big move to try and bring it back, actually she did have a very very good contract, which meant that they couldn't actually do it without her permission. Oh, really? Which is unusual. <laughs> it is um, very unusual. But um, no, we actually, in my capacity as a, as a director can't remember exactly when it was, around the late 80s, she wrote a full film screenplay for it. There was interest about, well, two, two levels. One was a, a straight feature film about it with all the sort of late 80s kind of drama yeah. type of things, but uh, also an interactive. Uh, when interactive was quite a big... Thing then, yeah. and so she did come up with all that. Yeah. Sadly, we never got it off the ground. But
1: well, people still follow it. Loads of people want to want to bring it back. You know, quite a lot of the actors. You know, the mm. the, the guy who played Adam Chance and yeah. Jill and whatever yeah. are still talking about it. Yeah. Whatever. So he had an impact, a massive impact on lots of people's lives, and he got very big viewing figures yeah. for yeah. many many years, didn't it? Yeah. yeah. Uh, what about looking back on your mum's on your mum's career and what she achieved? People are talking about her now, or people are starting to talk about her now. But well, to an extent, rightly or wrongly, and there are other people like this as well, she seems to have, been, mainly because we probably are in a mantle, she seems to have been forgotten a bit in terms mm-hmm. of her, what she gave. How does that make you feel?
3: Take ITV's 60 Year Celebrations, for example, and they did a, a big thing on theme tunes, right, where they did the top 20 theme tunes or whatever. Crossroads didn't figure in that, which was surprising. But I think... The problem is, television is such a fast-moving thing now, and back in the, say, the late 80s, when we were trying to get, say, Crossroads, the film going, the sadness was that people would look at her writing and go, well, it's a bit old-fashioned, which I suppose, yes, it was. the the sadness for my mother is that she never really got the opportunity to keep doing it. She, she would still write, even in in her late 80s, she would still write just to, to sort of do things and write features. She was uh, still very keen to make feature films. And indeed, I directed a film that she wrote and produced, which we made in Rome and South Africa, which was great fun. Quite difficult being a director of a film that your mother has written and produced. I always remember the wonderful story about that, which did it on schedule, everything, you know, and I used to have to have these regular meetings about maybe I was a day behind schedule and, and I would send the budget over a wee bit, but I got it all back anyway. But the wonderful thing was I got this lovely letter at the end of the film after production had all finished and it's quite customary for a producer to write to the director to thank them for their contribution on the film. And this letter read, Dear Charles, you know, thank you so much for all your hard work. And it got right down to the bottom and it said, Love, Mum. <laughs> Which was quite funny.
1: <laughs> yes, lovely. Really, really nice.
3: And she was involved in films in the 70s, wasn't she?
1: she some, was. Some of the more um, risque ones, let's yes. put that one. Is that
3: right? What, what, what happened was that she definitely wanted to break into feature films. And I think back in the late 60s, early 70s, a sort of genre of films came up called Skin Flicks, for want of better words, X-rated. I think you had to be over 21 to go and see them. But what happened in this country, in the UK, was that a lot of people, myself included, we obviously keep earning a living and what have you. You used to get some very seriously good directors and people like that working on these films because you, you could still earn a living. And actually, they were quite, quite reasonable budgets.
1: So was it like the Confessions films, things like they, that? They, quite, it
3: wasn't actually that Robbie series, but it was me. It was a bit before that, actually. Right. She did do a little comedy series of sex films, which were called Can You Keep It Up? or Can You Keep It Up Downstairs? Yeah. I mean, actually, Can You Keep It Up Downstairs? is still transmitted, even today, all over the world. It's amazing. Uh,
1: uh, did you ever talk to her about this period? Did, would she, how did she
3: feel about it? Well, you know, it, it was movie-making. Yes. I mean her films still although they had sex scenes in them they weren't gratuitous no. sex scenes they were part of an actual plot yeah, a story. and yeah. and a story and had characters so there was all the sort of yeah. traditional values of her writing yeah. skills yeah. came into it. But, of course, up to that
1: point, you'd, you'd had, to, of course, all the carry-on films and things. So yep. every, it was in the zeitgeist at the time, wasn't it? Those mm. kind of things were around people. It was a bit of fun, wasn't it? Yeah.
3: Absolutely. And, of course, things like DVDs came in or, or videos, and uh, I think there was a big market for yeah. them. Yeah. You know, Probably not so much in this country, but certainly... In France and, and Holland and Germany, places like that. Yeah.
1: Okay. Right. Okay. Just just anything particularly you want to mention, please do. But just to sum up, then looking back at your mum's career, I mean, she's she's a long life. Mm. She's done a hell of a lot. I mean, anybody really who in any kind of uh, walk of life would uh, into any kind of profession would would dream in some respects mm. of the career she's had, wouldn't they? Mm. I mean, it's
3: quite amazing, isn't it? Mm. Definitely. And although it probably wouldn't mean quite so much to her i think i would like to think that somehow television would honor her in some way for her contribution i mean there are people like um, beryl virtue who she obviously knew a lot there are there are other women who have had significant contribution
1: there's the lady who did the children's tv for a long time what was her name Maria, on yeah. bbc oh um. Biddy Baxter, Biddy Baxter uh, yeah. Blue Peter, yeah. Yeah, yeah.
3: But, of course, they weren't, they weren't drama, per se. But, yeah, I mean, I think that it was pretty unheard of, I think, back in those days. And there is no doubt that she, probably along with a couple of others, produced things that we take for granted now, like your Emma Dales or whatever. Back then, there wasn't really much choice. And
1: what else would she like to have done, do you think? Would she, would she like to have worked on some of the other dramas, like Corrie and things like that? Or would she, you know, was she happy doing what she did? Was, she, you know, what was, her, was there any more...
3: Amb- I mean, she was still writing. Was there any, any other things that she regret she didn't do? do she has written some novels. I think it's a shame that, that they weren't bigger than they were. She wrote quite a lot of Mills and Boone type of stuff. She notably has written quite a lot of romantic stuff, and she did write some screenplays, which were for ma- major films. I mean, she she produced and wrote one major film, which was a film called Games for Vultures, starring Richard Roundtree, who was Shaft. Uh, but that had a hell of a cast. That was Richard Harris, Ray Milan, Joan Collins, Sven Berteltau, people like that. She really thrived on doing that particular film. And I think... It was a difficult period of time for the British film scene then. Had that come a bit earlier, or maybe even a bit later, maybe her career would have taken a slightly different turn. She definitely wanted to do big films, but it was very difficult, even for somebody of her stature in television, to make that credible change, if you like, to, uh, to feature film.
1: Just a couple more things. Peter Ling yeah. was a partner for a long time in, in terms of the writing and stuff. Uh, what was their relationship like? Did they have a the strong, strong partnership?
3: Yes. I mean, uh, uh, as much as my memory uh, serves me, they didn't necessarily. They used to have meetings together on odd occasions. They shared an office, actually, in uh, Fulham. They used to have a sort of maybe like a sort of Monday morning meeting about the different they they'd First of all, for, for example, with Crossroads, they'd start off with a storyline. So my mother might write a storyline and they would share the writing of those particular episodes. They didn't necessarily actually work on an episode together because they had quite sort of different styles and elements that came into it. What was they, Peter's background?
1: What do you, what do
3: you... I don't know, to be honest with no. you. No, I don't. But you know, he was a very tall man, very different to my mother you know not quite so gregarious yeah he they would work in different offices but in the same building and they just used to come together but they, they didn't see each other much socially really
1: and your mum famously stood up to her boss didn't she tell us about that
3: uh, the lou grade story yes lou grade obviously came to her atv and wanted this uh, daily soap opera which became Crossroads, um, but yes, I mean he was a very formidable character. Um, you know, the mere mention of his name, even now, with his nephew Michael Gray, sort of people shudder. Yeah, he was not a man you uh, argued with. But somehow they had this extraordinary relationship. I think he had a huge amount of respect for her. I can remember going to some big do at the at the Dorchester, which he was at. He would. Remember her with great affection, but yeah, there are a few people who've—I wouldn't say stood up to. She she persuaded him to uh,
1: on the writers' side of things. the writers' no, 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 no I mean.
3: absolutely, and um, writers today owe a lot to her for campaigning to get a, a good deal.
1: And just one final thing: what about talking about Crossroads? Because obviously, that was a, there's a big cast. Mm. There's lots of people, lots of people who are larger than life. Mm-hmm. Noel Gordon. You got the impression that she. Owned ATV, <laughs> didn't you? did you? How did she, did she get on with the people in the program? Was was a good friend, you know, relationship there? I,
3: I think the actors that, unusually in her position, she might well write a character and suggest a particular actor would be good for it. And of course, she did have a sort of repertoire of people who she liked and thought would be brilliant to do that particular character. Noel Gordon, she didn't know terribly well, and Noel was a big star, of course. But my mother didn't really, she used to go to Birmingham for rehearsals only on a few occasions. She she didn't have an office up there per se, so she used to write from home a lot, and uh, then scripts were sort of delivered, because, I mean, there was no internet or anything to send them electronically. So she only really got involved in rehearsals and things like that very few times, really, considering it was a daily serial.
1: Do you remember, I mean, obviously I know you were at boarding school, but do you remember when you were at home, do you remember scripts being delivered and her being involved in all that kind of
3: Famously, which people find very hard to believe, my mother used to write in longhand. Never, ever... Really? ...used a typewriter. She always wrote in longhand, which proved an <laughs> immense problem. We used to have this woman locally whose name was Vicky, who got very excited because, of course, she used to be able to see scripts. She used to type scripts for my mother. Constant clack, 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 <laughs> clack of the time, right? But, um, she got to we, know the storyline. That's right. We, um, what happened was, because she had to write so much and she needed sort of peace and quiet, and we were all very young as children, she bought a caravan almost a slightly sort of dilapidated looking thing that sat at the far end of the garden <laughs> and she used to go in there uh, religiously at about 5 30 in the morning because that's when her sort of creative juices were going well and she'd sit in there and i used to have to take the odd cup of tea and you'd just see reams of paper you know and how she never got writer's cramp i don't know but of course it proved a big problem uh, writing longhand because If an actor went ill whilst Crossroads was sort of underway... She used to write about ten weeks in advance, I think. Well, if somebody went ill and they had to write them out of it, all those scripts had to be changed. And, of course, longhand, you know. So (laughs) I give you that thought. that uh, She probably did nothing for Brazilian rainforests in terms of... Did Did she never change into... Did she always write longhand? Always wrote longhand. I think she felt that somehow it—that sort of actually physically touching and writing something, yeah. that I actually sort of put, I don't know, some of her went through the pen, you know. And, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. yeah, I mean, uh, I think she should have been sponsored by <laughs> Bic or somebody.
1: <laughs> Excellent. Thank you very much indeed, Charles. That's brilliant. And it was an absolute delight to speak to uh, Charles Marriott and to Hazel Adair uh, some seven years ago now, would you believe? Uh, What is great, of course, is the interest in Crossroads as uh, never waned, really. And it's great that ITV are putting faith in the story once more. And uh, I, like everybody else as a Crossroads fan, I'm sure is looking forward to
0: watching Nolly um, on ITVX first, I think it is, uh, in the new year. Look forward to that. Hazel Adair and Hazel's son Charles talking to Ashley for Distinct Nostalgia and keep listening for some bonus Crossroads treats Distinct Nostalgia more than a podcast